So Holy Spirit, I ask that you would take the words I'm going to speak, the words of that scripture, the thoughts we're going to think in these next few minutes, and God, ask us, ask you to help us understand your heart. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you know, I uh, recently was in Cambodia with a team of people from our church, and on one of the days we were there, we went to a very poor village that this church helps to support. And at one point, we were playing games with some of the kids, and in the middle of one of these games, one of our team members just got tackled by a bunch of kids. It, it looked like this. So I want to ask you a question. You look at that guy's face. Let me ask you this. Does he look miserable? Does he look unhappy? Not so much, right? I mean, what kind of life would you rather lead? One that looks like this picture here or one that looks like this picture? Look at that guy. What is that guy's problem? He just looks like he is in pain, right? I mean, you would rather have a life that looks like the first picture, right? And to me, that picture is just a great uh, picture about, it says joy, it says freedom, it says adventure. I think it's a great demonstration of what we experience whenever we care about the things that God cares about. And one of the things that God is most passionate about is justice for the poor and for the oppressed. But I don't think it's just about freedom for victims of injustice. Today is Freedom Sunday, as, as Chris said earlier. Churches all around the world are talking about God's passion to free people from injustice. But I don't think it's just the victims of injustice that God is passionate to free. I think he also wants to free us. And when we, when we have his heart for justice, it will make life a little more difficult. That's true. But it also frees us from ourselves, our worries, our issues, our problems, our own little words, worlds. Now, that word justice in our culture, I think, has been watered down quite a bit. To us, it's, it's sort of about fairness. There's a story that appeared in the L.A. Times not too long ago about a guy named David Hagler, and he was pulled over by a cop for going two miles an hour over the speed limit. That's it, just two miles over, right? So he tried to reason with the cop, but the cop literally said, tell it to the judge, and wrote him the ticket. Well, a few weeks later, Hagler was serving as an umpire in a summer baseball league, and the first person to the plate happened to be this cop. And so suddenly the cop get, recognizes him, gets all, the cop gets all nice and friendly and said, hey, yeah, how'd that ticket work out? And Hagler said, mister, you better swing at everything. <laughs> That's kind of our idea of justice, right? If something goes wrong, if it's unfair, get even, right? But that's not the Bible's definition of justice. Most biblical scholars will tell you that behind the word justice is another word, shalom, which gets translated peace. But it means so much more than that. Shalom is about everything being as it should be. No hungry people, no lonely people, everyone rightly related to God and to each other. A good way then to think about justice is, justice is just as God intended it to be. And injustice is when someone uses the power they have to take from them something that God says belongs to that person. Their life, their liberty, or the fruit of their labor. That's injustice. And it infuriates God because we are all made in God's image. And anything that mars the image of God in anyone enrages God. When my daughter Holly was two, the thing she loved more than anything else in the whole world was her pacifier. In fact, we used to put like a dozen or more pacifiers in her crib at night so that if she, one fell out of her mouth, she could just reach out and grab another one and put it in her mouth without waking up and more importantly, not waking us up, right? 
Well, at one point, we were visiting my parents, and we were at their church, and we were talking with some friends of my parents, and they had a three-year-old son. And this little boy just walked up to Holly and just shoved her down on the ground. Holly was so shocked, she whipped the pacifier out of her mouth and held it up to him, sort of like an appeasement offering, right? Here, take the most valuable thing I have. Just leave me alone. Do you know what that little stinker did? He took her pacifier. I was furious. You're like, discipline your kid, people. Come on, man. And if that's how I feel about a minor thing like that, imagine how God feels when one of his children is a victim of injustice. And it happens all around the world. In Cambodia, for instance, one of the issues there is land grabbing. So a lot of people live in very poor slums, you know, little huts, dirt floors, cramped, crowded, right? But if that slum happens to be on a piece of land the government or some company wants to build a mall on or a hotel, you know what happens? At 2 in the morning, the government sends in bulldozers without warning. The people don't even have time to get the very few belongings they actually do have out. Their homes are destroyed. They're loaded on trucks, driven outside the city, and dumped in the middle of nowhere. That's it. No compensation, nothing. Just dumped there to start all over. And since most of them had jobs in the city, now they don't even have jobs anymore. All over the world, there are sweatshops where children as young as five or six are working 14-hour days in unsafe conditions. Then there's sex trafficking. Sex trafficker goes into a very poor village, says to some parents, hey, I got a great job for your daughter in the city, if, you know, good wages, takes the girl, kidnaps her, sometimes as young as seven-year-old girls, puts them in a brothel and forces them to work as prostitutes. Right? All over the world, that stuff is happening. But also, injustice happens here as well, in this country. One woman we heard about through one of our ministries here in this church had lived in this country for 15 years and had continuously held a job. But she was an undocumented worker. Now, for 15 years, she had paid premiums on her car insurance because she needed the car to get to work. Well, then she had an accident. The insurance company refused to pay the claim on the grounds that she was an undocumented worker. Now, funny, that didn't seem to bother the insurance company for 15 years when they took her money for 15 years, but when it came time to pay the claim, suddenly it's an issue, right? And God is passionate to see people like that restored. And I'm not making a political statement in that story. It's just wrong, no matter how you look at it, right? I don't care what side of the immigration debate you're on. God is passionate to restore people, restore their land, restore their money, most importantly, restore their dignity. And this is not just some little minor subplot all throughout Scripture. It is on almost every page of the Bible. In numerous places, God says, Do not mistreat an alien or oppress him. Love those who are aliens in your midst, for you yourselves were aliens in Egypt. Isaiah 61, For I, the Lord, love justice. One of my favorites is the prophet Amos because he's just so cranky. He's just fun to read, right? And he, he says this to the rich women in Israel. He says this, Hear this word, you fat cows of Bashan. Whoa! I'm not sure that went over so well with the elders in his church, right? Like, chill out, Amos, right? Then he goes on, You women who oppress the poor and crush the needy and say to your husbands, Bring us some drinks. I don't know what that last bit is about. Apparently the husbands felt oppressed too, right? Amos just goes on to blast him. It's fun, right? So one of these days, I'm going to do a whole sermon series on the prophets because they're just wonderful like this. And it's not just the Old Testament. 
It's not just in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, Jesus begins his ministry by quoting the prophet Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty all who are oppressed. That's how Jesus decides to announce what he has come to do. All throughout the New Testament, the apostles James and Peter and Paul all tell us to care for the poor, the oppressed, the widow, and the fatherless. In fact, I cannot think of one book in the Bible that does not talk about caring for the poor and the oppressed. Not one book. It is everywhere. You can't ignore the fact that God is passionate about justice. In fact, God himself was a victim of injustice in the person of Jesus. He was poor, and then he was falsely accused of crimes he didn't commit, convicted through the testimony of false witnesses, and died a death he didn't deserve. Total injustice. But what did he do with it? He rose three days later showing that he is stronger than death, stronger than sin, stronger than injustice. God is so passionate about justice that not even death can stop him. And this makes the God in the Bible different than every other God in every other religion. Because in every other religion, if you're poor, if you're oppressed, the message is it's your fault. You did something to deserve it either in this life or in your past life. You deserve it. Only the God revealed in Jesus says, no, 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 no. This is not how it is supposed to be, and I have come to the rescue. Our God is a rescuing God, and there is only one in any religion you're going to look at. And there are two reasons that God is so passionate about justice. One, he loves the victims of injustice. But second, he also loves us. He wants us to experience his power, his joy, his freedom. When we were in Cambodia we met with a man who works to stop the land grabbing. And as a result, his life is literally in jeopardy. And he does this not out of like a political agenda, it's out of his passion for Jesus. In fact, he refers to Jesus as my Jesus. And when you hear him talk, you can just hear his passion for Jesus and his deep love for other people. And there's just this sense of freedom and life and joy in this man. Well, before we visited him, I'd been talking to one of the people on the trip with us about some anxieties that this guy had about going back home because he faced a mountain of work, awkward social situations. So that night when we got done, got back from talking with this Cambodian man, I asked the guy on our trip, how are those things you were worried about? How are those issues seeming to you now? And he said, pathetic and small. He said, that man that we just met, he's the most inspiring man I've ever met in my life. And he just seems so free, so full of joy. It's a hard-won freedom. But here he has all this, these problems. His life is in jeopardy, and he is more joyful, and he is more free than me in the United States. When we participate with what God is doing and setting others free, we experience Jesus more deeply, which makes our world bigger. You've heard me say this before. When your world gets bigger, your problems get smaller. One of the other pictures I have from Cambodia is one of Chris Martinson, our modern worship director. And he was also, as you'll see in this picture, he was a big hit with the kids in the village as well. I just love that picture. But one of the things we all noticed was that picture looks strikingly similar to other pictures we've seen, like the one on the right there, right? (laughs) My friend Chris, my friend Jesus, right? And Chris just looks a lot like Jesus. And this really, this picture is sort of the point of my whole sermon. Not about Chris, but when we partner with Jesus in his rescue mission to the poor and the oppressed, we just start seeing Jesus everywhere. In the story we read today, Jesus says, when I was hungry, you clothed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. And the people said, when did we do that? And Jesus says, if you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. 
In other words, when we participate in setting people free, we experience Jesus more. Why? Well, Jesus is everywhere, but he has a particular habit of going to places of pain, going to the sick, the poor, the hurting. He gravitates towards those places. So if Jesus has a habit of showing up in those places, if we want to experience Jesus, where are we going to meet him? In the places of pain where he has promised to be and promised to bring healing and wholeness. So how do we do this? How do we participate with Jesus in what he's doing? Because at this point, you may be thinking, you know, man, sounds good. I know I should, but how do I do that? I can't, the problem's so big. My resources are so small. This is where we need to remember the story of how Jesus fed 5,000 people with just a few loaves of bread and some fish. Right? And if you remember that story, when the disciples see this crowd, huge crowd of 5,000 people, they, they come to Jesus and say, what should we do? What should we do? And if you remember what Jesus says, it's a very kind of annoying thing that Jesus says. He says to the disciples, you give him something to eat. Right. 5,000 people, five loaves of bread is not going to work. So then Jesus says, well, how much food do you have? And they say, five loaves of bread and just a few fish. And then my favorite part, the disciple Andrew says this, yes, but what are these amongst so many? Andrew was an accountant. Right? <laughs> But you know how the story ends, right? Jesus multiplies it and feeds the whole crowd. Here's the point. Jesus is not asking you to end injustice worldwide. That's not his ask. That's not his ask. His ask is this. Bring me what you have, and I'll do great things with it. So five practical steps. One, pray. A really good prayer to pray is, Jesus, break my heart for what breaks yours. May the things that cause you to pound your fist on the table and bring a tear to your eye be the same things for me. Pray to have the heart of God if you dare. It'll change your life. Second, get knowledgeable. All throughout Lent, we're going to have a series of afternoon forums on Sunday afternoons about justice, and they're listed in your bulletin insert. Go to at least one, if not all of those. And also pick up a Lenten devotional on your way out and just to use that throughout Lent to kind of find out what God is doing to set people free all around the world. Three, use the power of your pocketbook. Pick one thing you buy a lot of, clothes or certain types of food or whatever it is. Find out which companies employ slave labor overseas and don't buy those products. Now, you can't do that for everything you buy. You just go crazy, right? But just pick one. For instance, according to the UN, for what the developed world spends on bottled water in just one year, we could provide clean water for every person on the planet. So the irony that those countries that have clean tap water and don't need bottled water are spending enough on bottled water in just one year to give everyone on the planet clean water that actually needs it. How that must break God's heart. Now, the point here is not to feel guilty about bottled water. No, 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 no. That's not what I'm talking about. You know, but instead, how about for Lent, give up a beverage. Maybe it's bottled water, maybe it's coffee, something like that, and give the money that you would have spent to an organization like Living Water that's bringing clean water to people in need. Use the power of your pocketbook. Fourth, get involved. Tutor a kid at KidReach. Volunteer at Jubilee Reach Center. Maybe a sponsor a child overseas through Compassion International or World Vision or through us, the Center of Champions in Rwanda. My wife and I have sponsored three kids, one for each of the, our own kids, and they write each other back and forth. Our kids pray for their sponsored child. Someday we're going to go visit them all. Right? It's been a great way to help my kids have the heart of God. Fifth, use what skills you have in whatever way you can. Remember the woman I told you about whose insurance company wouldn't pay her claim? Well, here's the end of the story. We contacted a lawyer in our church who simply made an inquiry. That's it. 
No lawsuit, no threats, right? Just a friendly little inquiry from a friendly little lawyer. <laughs> Guess what that insurance company did? Paid the claim right off, right? All it took was someone with that skill to advocate for that woman and justice was served. I know another woman who wanted to raise money for a homeless shelter. So she took $100, hired a kickbox, this was very creative, hired a kickboxing instructor and offered a kickboxing course to the women in her church. Very creative, right? And then she donated the profits from the class to the homeless shelter. Well, when the instructor found out what she was doing, not only did he refuse payment, he volunteered at the shelter himself. And as a result, she raised several thousand dollars for this homeless shelter, and there are now dozens of Presbyterian women who know how to kickbox, which <laughs> is a good thing, I think. We have more power, more resources, more ability than we actually think we do, each one of us. You know, I belong to a local gym here, and one of the things you sometimes see in the weight rooms are these guys, it's never women that do this, it's always guys standing in front of the mirror flexing, right? Looking at their arms, looking at their chest, right? And it is so embarrassing when I get caught doing that. <laughs> and you, know, you think about, you know, all that muscle in that gym. But as Gary Haugen the, of International Justice Mission puts it, what's it all for? Posing, right? We have so much. Each one of us has so many resources. What's it for? Posing or action? And yes, there is a cost to participating with Jesus in setting people free. It'll cost time. It'll cost money. Some people may not like what we're doing, and they'll get mad at us. It'll make life harder. But also deeper, richer, bigger, better, and we'll experience more of Jesus. Several weeks ago, I had coffee with a woman in our church named Lynn Pelton, and I've told you about them before, how Lynn and her husband Jim, they're medical professor, uh, professionals, and one of the things they spend some time doing is they help amputee victims in Sierra Leone. What happened in that war was guerrillas would come in, and guerrilla war warriors would come into a village and just start amputating limbs off of you know, men, women, children, innocent people, totally unjust, right? Well, Lynn emailed me and said that she had some new stories to tell me, and I never turned down an opportunity to hear a story because I need them for the sermons. So, <laughs> Lynn, we got together, and Lynn said that one of the issues they face is that there aren't enough clinics in Sierra Leone to help these people. On top of that, there's only one pharmacy in the entire country, so folks have to wait for their medicine to come from Europe. It takes a long time. On top of all of that, there's not even a lab in the country. And so test results, tests have to go to the U.S. or to Europe, right? Very difficult. Well, one day, Lynn said she just walked through the doors of church here on a Sunday. She said all at once, God downloaded a vision to her to build a combination lab, clinic, pharmacy, but also attach a cafe to it so that it would generate, generate revenue and make the whole thing self-sustaining. So just a tiny little vision, right? And Lynn thought, this is awesome, but how on earth? Well, not too long ago, not too long after that, she was at a party, and she happened to start talking to someone from the East Coast about Sierra Leone, and it turns out this guy knew some of the folks from Run DMC, which, if you don't know what that is, it's a hip-hop group from the 80s and the 90s. Long story short, he contacted them, they agreed to do a benefit concert, to, and the proceeds would go to help buy the land for Lynn's clinic. Lynn said she even got to meet some of the folks in Run DMC. She said, you know, it was great, here I am, this PTA mom with a hip-hop group, right? It's, it's street cred, it's awesome, right? Well, then, a little while later, Lynn was at another party, so very popular on the social circuit. That's, you know, partying for Jesus. So, you know, she got to talking to someone else about Sierra Leone, and he looked at her and said, why do you do this? She decided not to pull her punch, and she said, because of Jesus. Well, it turns out he was also a Christian and owned an international construction company, 
and he offered to do the business plan and all the preliminary work for the building free of charge. So now she had the money for the land, the business plan, she just needed to get it built. An obstacle there was that nothing happens in Sierra Leone without a bunch of government bribes, very expensive. But through a long series of other events that would take another sermon, Lynn ended up meeting a, a, a cabinet minister in Sierra Leone who said he would cut through the red tape for her. Lynn said to me, I, I feel like Condoleezza Rice or Hillary Clinton, you know, Secretary of State meeting all these foreign dignitaries. And I said, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's amazing. I mean, here you are, this Bellevution PTA mom, right, getting, getting to meet hip-hop groups and cabinet members. And she said, yeah, and that's just the last three weeks. You want to hear the last six months? Maybe later, right? <laughs> Holy cow. Now, have Jim and Lynn complicated their lives with their passion for justice? You better believe they have. There's a lot I didn't have time to tell in that story. Times of disappointment, times when it was hard, a lot of times when it was just scary, scary, scary. But there's also a lot of joy and a lot of freedom for the people in Sierra Leone, to be sure. But who else is getting free? Lynn has told me repeatedly that the things she used to worry about just don't bug her as much anymore. Social issues, career issues, money issues. She used to have back pain. She says it's mostly gone away. She said, I just don't worry about those things as much as I used to. Jesus is all about Freedom for the captives. He is the God of rescue. Whether that means freedom for those who are trapped in poverty and injustice or those who are held captive by the prison of affluenza, death by suburb, that saps our souls and teaches us to worry about things that ultimately aren't all that important. So how can you participate with what God is doing to set people free? Pick up that Lenten devotional. Pray about it. Talk to our justice team in the, in the, in the lobby. Find your way. You know what? I cannot promise you that you're going to have a story as dramatic as Lynn's, but I can promise that you will see Jesus in whole new ways and your world will just get a lot bigger, which will make your problems seem a lot smaller. Because the Bible is really clear. He has shown us what is good and what the Lord requires of us, but to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. So let justice roll on like a river and righteousness like an ever-living stream. Because the Spirit of the Lord is upon you and upon me and upon all of us to preach good news to the poor. He is sending us to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty all who are oppressed, all who are oppressed, and proclaim God's favor here and around the world so that everyone, everyone, including ourselves, can be free. So God, a rescue, thank you that you are the rescuing God. And I ask that you would show us the ways that you want us to be part of this. Help us, for those who are part of it, Lord, bless them. Help them to know your, your joy in what they are doing. Lord, show us whether it's just with someone next door or someone around the world, how is it that you want us to participate in your rescue mission so that we can know the freedom you died to give us. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.